today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Do you understand with every negative declaration that they made of what was in the land, their God got smaller and smaller and smaller. And beloved, that's exactly what we do in our lives. When we allow the situations and the troubles in our lives to overwhelm us and to take our every waking thought and direction, the longer we do that, the smaller our God gets to being able to overcome that enemy that's trying to bring you down. God told them to take the land, I'll be with you. Joshua and Caleb said, hey guys, we need to take the land. We need to go right now. We need to take it. God is on our side. We serve a big God. He is more powerful than we can imagine. In today's message, Pastor David shows how the Israelites made God smaller and smaller with every negative declaration they made against him. You do the same thing when you doubt what God is doing in your life. If you have a challenge in your life and you allow it to overwhelm everything, then you make God smaller. However, if you have faith that He will move in your life, He will do what He is big enough to do. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Numbers chapter 1 as he continues his message, The Books of Wonder. third option that we have for the Jew was to understand the limitations of that sacrificial system. That they were simply a a forerunner of the one, that perfect sacrifice that was yet going to come. That individual, the individual or the nation at that point then would be able to look for God to provide for himself that perfect sacrifice in the fulfillment of both his law and his promise. That God was gonna take care of both. He's gonna fulfill the law. He's gonna fulfill the promise in one that is yet to come. And so then we wait in expectation. We wait in the anticipation that Messiah will soon be here. That's why when Christ was born, there were some in Israel, even at that time, man, they were looking for the fulfillment. They were anticipating the fulfillment and the coming of Messiah because that was the life that they had. They lived in expectation, looking for the one that would come. That's why Christ, as he was teaching those two men on the road to Emmaus, He went all the way back to the law and the prophets to explain to them Messiah was the fulfillment of all these things, of all these sacrifices, of all the ceremonies, everything that God had directed us as a nation of Israel to do in those early days. Messiah was a fulfillment of that. That's why guys... He had to die. And these two guys on the road to Emmaus, suddenly their, their hearts, their minds were starting to understand, okay, that is starting to make sense to me now. It's a fulfillment 
of everything that was set before, Messiah was a complete fulfillment. That's why Paul uses the same method when he ministered in all of his travels through his missionary journeys. Beloved, if we don't get the first five books and the prophets of the Old Testament down, we miss the full understanding of the foundation of our faith. That's why it's so important for us to know it. And it all begins in the Old Testament. Now, we get to the book of Numbers. And you better listen fast or you'll never get through here. If the book of Leviticus was the how-to book, the book of Numbers is the how-not-to book. Okay, Because over and over and over in the book of Numbers, we see, man, the picture is not a pretty one. Israel is messing up on a continual basis here. We see at one point in time, Moses is ready to leave them. There's even another point in time that God's ready to leave them. And uh, we, we, we see this in the book of Numbers. Now, uh, again, we see this as called the book of Numbers because it was twice that they were numbered, once at the beginning, once at the end. It wasn't a pride thing on Moses' part, no. It was a strategy, it was an organizational thing. And he had the tribes then organized and set up their camps according to their tribes. And it's absolutely interesting. And I wish that I had a slide to show you tonight. But the way that he set up the, the tribes around with the tabernacle in the center to the east of where the tabernacle was located were the tribes or the families of Judah, Iskar, and Zebulun. To the south, we found the tribes or the families of Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. To the west, we found the tribes of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. And then to the north, were the smaller tribes of Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. And in the middle of that was the tabernacle, and that's where all the Levites would be encamped around. Now, if you go through, and we're not gonna take the time tonight, but if you go through and you count all the numbers, and and the book of Numbers gives us those numbers, you count those numbers and you realize the way that they're placed around the tabernacle actually shows us a picture of the cross. The smaller amount of tribes, numbers in those, still three tribes, but the least amount of people is to the north on the top. And then to the east and to the west, almost an identical number. Three tribes here, three tribes here. The addition of all of those together is about the same. And then three tribes to the south, more in number than any of the others, looking and showing, forming for us, Picture of the cross right there. And right in the middle of that, the tabernacle of God. It's an awesome, awesome picture. The people of Israel, through Moses' leadership, well-ordered, they were structured. It was a nation that was designed to move as a vast army. And in chapters nine and five of the, or nine and 10 of the book of Numbers, We see that they either move 
or they stay encamped by the moving of that pillar of fire or the cloud. And, and also they move in the direction of these two silver trumpets that again are blown. And they know that if both trumpets are blowing, one thing they do, one trumpet blows, another thing they do. God had this all worked out. An army this size has to be well-disciplined. It has to be obedient. It has to be faithful. And it turns out that this army nation was none of the above. None of the above. And it's amazing they made it for as long as they did. Well, it's not amazing. They've got an amazing God that preserved them. The first order of complaints uh, is chronicled actually in, in Numbers chapter 11. And I'm going to go pretty quick through here. And those complaints started with what is called a mixed multitude. And they believe that that mixed multitude is actually some of the Egyptians that came out with them. So some of the, you, you do realize that when they came out of Egypt, many Egyptians came with them because they didn't like being under Pharaoh anyway. Some of them had started to uh, think and process this God of the Israelites. And so they came with them. But that's where the first complaints started coming in. A little bit later in chapter 12, we see Aaron and Miriam, Moses' brother and sister. They rebelled due, due to jealousy. They're saying, hey, you know, does the Lord only move through you? Oh, and by the way, ladies, sorry, but it was primarily Miriam that did it, okay? And, and we know that because Miriam is the one that uh, uh, the Lord struck with leprosy. And, uh, uh, and, and again, the Aaron you know, asked Moses, hey, come on, man, she's your sister. Moses prayed, the Lord healed her. But again, she had to stay out of the camp for a little while, just again, part of the process of restoration. Uh, in chapter 13, we, we read there about the sending out of the spies. And you know that story, you know that situation where they sent the 12 spies into the promised land. Hey, go and check it out. See what, see what we're coming into. Any well designed, well-purposed, well-strategied army would do the same thing. You go and you send out recon to find out, okay, what are we getting ourselves into? Now, understand, God had promised them, this is your land. I'm gonna fight the enemy before you. You go in my strength. I'll defeat them all for you. But still, I wanna see what's up there. So we send out the recon, they come back. 10 out of the 12 says, man, hey, you know, yeah, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Man, look at the size of these grapes. It's amazing. <gasps> but there's giants in the land. There's walled cities in the land. There's powerful armies in the land. And with every declaration that they made of what was negative in the land, do you understand with every negative declaration that they made of what was in the land, their God got smaller and smaller and smaller. And beloved, that's exactly what we do in our lives. When we allow the situations and the troubles in our lives to overwhelm us and to take our every waking thought and direction, the longer we do that, the smaller our God gets to being able to overcome that enemy that's trying to bring you down. God told them to take the land, I'll be with you. Joshua and Caleb said, hey, guys, we need to take the land. We need to go right now. We need to take it. God is on our side. And so all the people of Israel, man, they rallied up and they got stones and they were ready to stone. Joshua and, and Caleb and Moses and Aaron, they were ready to take them out. You're, you, you want us to die in there. No, they didn't. They believed God and they were ready to go. By the time you get down to uh, chapter 14, not only are they refused to move, but now the Lord threatens to wipe out this whole army nation. 
and began again with Moses. But this time Moses pleads for the people. He intercedes and says, no, you don't want to do that because all the nations are, man, they were your people. And what are the nations going to think about who you are? So God says, okay, but they're not going to go into the promised land. This is, this is where it hits right here. And as a matter of fact, a plague comes and, and wipes out all the other spies and some of the others, and they had to do some things. So they got the plague done. And then they decided, well, wow, we see this plague. Uh, apparently God does want us to take the land. So a large group of them say, okay, we'll go ahead. We'll take the promised land. But beloved, at that point in time, God already said no. When God says no, you know what the best thing for you and I to do? Stay, stand pat. But I thought you wanted to take land. Yeah, that was before, but you know what? You weren't faithful at that time. Oh, but I'll do it now. No, I got another plan for you. So they went out, they tried to take it, and you know what? They got their tails kicked. They got their tails kicked. That's verse 39 through 45 there in uh, chapter 14. Chapter 15, more instructions about grain and drink offerings, both unintentional and presumptuous sins. Chapter 16, again, this rebellion of Korah. Korah comes up, hey, are, are you the only one that God can speak to? God can speak to all of us, you know, after all. You know, who are you, Moses? And God pretty well takes care of that. He just tell, has Korah and all those that were part of the rebellion. Hey, guys, in the morning, come out, stand in front of your tents. We're gonna see what God has to say about this. And so they're all standing there with all of their families and suddenly the uh, uh, earthquake happens. Boom, swallows them all up and their families. Uh, Think they got a bad over in California? I don't think so, no. This here, very totally, God was showing, no, I am speaking to Moses, by the way. And that's the very thing that, again, the Lord spoke to Aaron and to Miriam. He says, to my prophets, I, I speak in other ways, but to Moses, I speak face to face. It was a different relationship that God had with Moses. Chapter 21, God gives victory against those that uh, they had to fight against and in the midst of their wanderings there in the wilderness. The wilderness wanderings were tough. They had enemies to fight even while they were there. But even in the midst of that, the people begin mumbling uh, again in the midst of the journey. And so God sends out these venomous snakes to begin biting people. And, he, and as they're dying, Moses again crying out, pleading for the people. God tells Moses, okay, you make this uh, uh, staff, this, this, this stand and put a bronze snake on it. And if they would simply look to the snake, they'd be healed. That makes absolutely no sense logically at all. Think about it. You're, you're, you've been bitten by a venomous snake. You are dying. That's going through your blood system. And Moses comes and says, if you just look over here and have faith, that should be made well. You'll be made well. But you know what? That's the simplicity of faith in Christ. Because every one of us have been bit by that venomous snake. We were born in sin. We were already dead. And the Lord says, look to my son and you will be healed. You'll be made alive. Uh, Chapters 21 and 24 in Numbers, the arrival of Balaam, the prophet for prophet. And again, that that whole situation with uh, Balak, the king of uh, the Moabites. But Balaam was a strange character. 
He was a guy that would give prophecies and, and you could pay him to make a prophecy for you. And he was paid to make a prophecy against Israel and he couldn't do it. He would begin to try and put a curse out and God would just literally take the words uh, away from him and he would speak blessings to Israel. So Balak, the king of the Moabites, man, he's going nuts. Well, let's go to this other mountain. Let's, let's try it again. And he pays him again to make a prophecy. And Balak, Balaam goes out to speak a, a curse against him. Suddenly a, a blessing comes out. And so Balak is so upset. He tells him, hey, let's try this again. And so Balaam gets on his little donkey and he's riding around. All of a sudden he comes through a tight place within, you talk about a rock and a hard spot. That's where he goes. And God has an angel there ready to slay Balaam. And Balaam's beating this donkey to go, go, go. And the donkey's mad. He's laying down. He's rubbing Balaam against the rocks. He sees the angel of death. He's not going forward. Balaam has no idea what's going on. Why? Because he doesn't really have the spirit of God within him. That donkey has more of the spirit of God in him than Balaam does. Finally, the donkey just flat out turns around and says, why are you beating me, man? I'm trying to save your life here. Balaam wasn't able to prophesy against, but he gave Balak a hint of how to draw the people of Israel down. Get them involved with your women and then get them involved with your idol worship. And that's exactly what happened at that point in time. While they were encamped, they started inviting the women of Moab in. And with the inviting of the women of Moab in, their idols came in. And if you remember the story, the great story, right there standing before Moses and a few others, uh, one of the children of Israel, he grabs a Moabite woman and he goes, he's running into the tent there just saying, I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do. I'm gonna live whatever way I want to and you can't touch me. You, you can't do a thing. He goes into the tent and a fellow by the name of Phineas sees that and he says, there's no way you're gonna do this before God and, and dishonor his name. And Phineas goes in there and drives a spear right through both of them. And with that, God, again, brings a break to the, the judgment against everyone. We, we go on chapter 27, the, the anointing of uh, Joshua to be the successor of Moses. Uh, chapter 32, uh, we see that uh, Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they want to stay on the east side. And again, uh, the Lord's going to wipe them out. <laughs> but uh, then he said, no, we're going to go and fight. We'll go ahead and fight and help everybody get their, their place once they get to the promised land. But then we want to come back over here. There's a whole lot that we could say about that, but we'll get there as we get into the book of Joshua. Deuteronomy. Again, in Deuteronomy, we see, again, the, the second law, the retelling of the law. As a matter of fact, uh, the, the very word Deuteronomy means a copy of the law. Israel, again, they've completed their 40 years of wandering. They're in an area pretty much adjacent to Jericho, but they're on the east side of the Jordan River. Moses takes this occasion before his death to remind the people of the mighty hand of God. You remember, this is a new generation now. The, these people had not crossed the Red Sea. They hadn't seen, again, that escape. They heard the stories, but they were under 20 years old at that point in time. And then plus others had been born during those 40 years. Chapters one through four there in Deuteronomy, primarily it's just a historical lesson, Moses retelling all the events. Uh, chapters five through 26, uh, rules for holy living and for worship. It's there in that section that we find what is called the Shema or what is, uh, it's, that's a Hebrew word for listen or to hear. The Shema, O Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on the gates. Well, they actually took that man very, 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 very literally. So even in Israel today, you can see some Orthodox Jews with what's called the, the tefillin, that is a, a leather strap that's around their arms, and there's a little box, and in that little box, there's that scripture from Deuteronomy that's right there in that box. There's a, uh, the masuza that is at the doorway, a little container that's nailed to the doorpost of many Jewish homes and businesses. As they go through, they, they tap that for a blessing because in that box is the scripture passages. There's also what's called the phylacteries, these boxes that, are, that they would put on their heads and tie down. And again, the more holy you felt you were, the bigger your phylacteries were. And, and God, uh, Jesus pointed that out in the New Testament. And again, that, how they would, again, just show how spiritual they were because, man, I, I got, you know, the, the King James home edition, you know, <laughs> family Bible taped to my forehead. Chapters 27 through 30, prophetic word for them. We find there the blessings on Mount uh, Ebal and Gerizim that are going to be taking place for them, the covenant uh, that is going to be there for them. Moses gives his final words, his final blessings, his words of encouragement to Joshua in chapter 31. Chapter 32, we have the song of Moses. Just a word of blessing, but at the same time, it's a word of, you guys have blown it over and over and over again. Don't blow it anymore. This is Moses' word here. And again, and then he gives his word to Joshua a little bit later. Chapter 33 is a final blessing to Israel. Chapter 34, the death of Moses. Who buried Moses? God did. Where is he buried? Somewhere around Mount Nebo, but we don't know for sure. We read over in the book of Jude, Michael and Satan battled for the body of Moses. I don't understand that. I wish I could give you a really clever understanding of what that's all about. The one thing I do know when, that, when Jude tells us about that, Jude says that even Michael did not charge or give a slander against Satan, but he said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. What that speaks to me, and I hear many well-meaning Christians today and they're in prayer times or whatever it might be, trying to bind or trying to curse Satan. Guys, I don't think we have that authority at all. Well, yeah, the scripture says that whatever you bind on heaven will be bound, or on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be. You gotta understand, for whatever reason, even Michael the archangel knew that he didn't even have that authority. That's why he said, the Lord rebuke you. Number one, I'm not speaking to the devil, okay? If the devil comes and bother me, number one, I don't think the devil's gonna bother me. He's gonna send one of his little minions to attack me. I don't have to have that conversation. I call upon the one who has authority and power, who has the ability to fight that battle that I can't fight because it's in a realm that I'm not in yet. Oh, I can believe in that realm. I can 
I, I can sense that realm, but I'm not there. I'm still mortal flesh. But my God is in every realm, and he has already defeated that rascal. And it's in him that you and I have the victory. Noticed a theme weaving its way through Pastor David's messages and really through the Bible? That theme is salvation. It's Jesus. From the very beginning, God planned for his son to come save the world from its sins. You find this plan ingrained in his word, in the lives of the key people of Scripture, and in the words of truth each book provides. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Through the Bible, we pray you're finding Jesus not just in the text, but in your everyday life too. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you'll be able to listen online at theopenword.com. There's several messages there, in fact, and many of them go even more in-depth through a verse-by-verse study of each individual book of God's Word. That website again is theopenword.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I wanted to take a moment and ask you to be praying for the ministry of The Open Word. I know God is working through the messages I've been able to share, and He's opening hearts to His love every step of the way. As Chris was saying, this book I'm teaching from is just filled with grace, and I want everyone to know about it. Would you pray that more and more people would come to know the saving grace of Jesus? Would you pray too for all of us who are creating the Open Word program? We want to keep focused on Jesus, not on us. Thanks so much for praying. And thanks for joining me today on The Open Word. Make us more.